Sean Fitzpiffy. We're back to the Health and Sexy Show. This is the seventh episode. This is the show where we're talking about our health, where we're talking about being free of disease or catching disease in its earliest stages. The show where we're talking about looking good and feeling good and living longer and living stronger. Ladies and gentlemen, Mahatma Gandhi may have said it best when he uttered, it is health that is real wealth and not pieces of gold and silver. Um, we must be aware, we must be woke. That's the new word today, ladies and gentlemen, or these days, woke, that if we want to be rich in health, then we need to face the facts. The one big fact is we don't understand as much about our health as we would like to think we do. Google has us fooled. Scientific subjects like medicine need deep understanding. You can't Google heart disease and go in and talk to your doctor the next day and know the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the side to sides of heart disease. You need that deep knowledge. It's good as a primer to give us some basic introduction, but there are terms, there are correlations, there are concepts that you will not, that I will not, even with my level of knowledge, if it's specialized information, understand without that deep understanding of a medical specialist and if you're not in the medical field or in that particular medical specialty you will not know as much as you think you do about that area we don't fully comprehend so we need to be aware of that the rise of this knowledge on google and what we call autodidacts or people you know who are self-taught you would not find a self-taught doctor who is very good at all. There is no good self-taught doctor. It's, again, it requires a deep knowledge, deep understanding, deep comprehension, and years and years of uh, specialized training to get to that level. Now, I do admit I've been on Google, I've been on YouTube, and I've fixed many things around my house. But believe me, I am not fooled. I know one thing. I am not a plumber. I know another thing. I am not an electrician, so the small things that I take care of that I fix around the house I feel good about, but the more complicated, complex problems I leave it to the professionals. So that's what we need to do with our health and our wellness, especially if we are sufferers of a chronic disease, leave it to the experts. They will guide us. We need to follow their guidance. There are some people, I've met quite a few of you who are what I call, or what I like to call sophisticated patients. These are patients with deeper knowledge of chronic diseases. You're the type of patient, or the type of family member, you know about treatments, you know about monitoring, and you are proactive in your and your family's behalf when it comes to their health care. I love these types of patients. I love these types of family members because they have a, a better understanding and they are usually willing to talk and are, are reasonable when you do talk to them. But this type of patient, this type of family member is the minority. There are also many patients who have family members, family members in the medical field. I've spoken to them all I'm on the telephone. They call in or the family member says, I want you to speak to my niece. She's an ultrasound tech. Or you need to speak to my nephew. He's a dialysis nurse. Or speak to my son. He's an orthopedic surgeon or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. And I have no problem talking with other, other medical professionals on the phone. But again, despite having that training and that exposure and, and some knowledge in the ancient arts uh, of medicine, 
they don't have that deep knowledge in heart and lung surgery. You know, they mean well. Again, I know they mean well, but they still lack that deep knowledge about heart and lung surgery. And I am and I feel more than obliged to, to educate them and bring them up to speed on whatever the situation at hand is. You know, there's a term term that we have for how well we are able to understand and make use of medical information. This term is called health literacy. Health literacy, it defines the, the degree to which individuals have the capacity to obtain, to process, and to understand basic health information and services needed to make appropriate health decisions. So this is medical literacy. Most of us lack this capacity, believe it or not, and there have been studies done that's shown this. Most of us lack this capacity and are, and are health illiterate but we can change it. You know, we don't have to live with this for the rest of our lives. We don't own it. We can change it. You know, why should we want to change it? Why do we want to become health literate? Well, for starters, health illiteracy is a significant, I mean significant contributor to noncompliance with health regimens that can lead to preventable hospitalizations, preventable illnesses and diseases. It is a significant contributor when you don't have that capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information. We're already challenged by lack of significant symptoms when it comes to many of our chronic diseases, so we have no cues to comply. And now this is compounded by the lack of understanding and a lot of times the lack of support as well. And this all has the potential to allow complacency or more, you know, more accurately, probably a more accurate word probably would be obliviousness to settle in. We don't know. We don't care. And these silent killers continue to silently kill us. We don't want this to happen. And health illiteracy contributes to that. You know, people have studied people for a long time. We call it social science now, you know, the study of human society and, you know, social relationships and how people behave and through this social science, several observations have been noted, you know, in regards to using items and sharing information. For starters, people will not use things. No, they will not use things that they do not understand. And this is something you'll notice with older people in technology. You know, we call people, you know, affectionately old fashioned because they won't move forward, move up to the current times and use the things that we are using this is not because they just are so um, stuck in the past or anything like that, but it is difficult to use things you don't understand, and it happens. There are whole groups of young people who form and coalesce together to go out and help these older Americans use their cell phones, navigate the whole digital era that we have today. So, you know, the second thing that has been observed when it comes to using things and, and sharing information is that people will typically not ask questions and they will typically not engage in conversations about topics that they don't understand. I've seen occasions when medical professionals, doctors, nurses, physician assistants like myself, nurse practitioners are discussing health-related items with patients and families and I kind of look over the audience and all of them have this confused, glazed over look in, in, the, in their eyes, on their faces. You can tell they're not following it at all because that medical professional is using the jargon 
that they would talk to with their colleagues and, and the family members. The patient aren't understanding a thing. So they have that glazed over look, ladies and gentlemen, but they don't ask any questions regardless, despite not fully comprehending the information being discussed. Everyone isn't as gifted in, in distilling complex information into a simplified and understandable context that can be turned into immediate action. And when I witnessed it, it witnessed this, it causes me to cringe. I cringe when I'm present when this happens. But fortunately for these families, I'm available to explain it better and answer their questions a little later once I get my own one-on-one -on -one time with them so that they are able to better understand. But, you know, everyone isn't as fortunate to have another person there who understands this gap and information is gap in knowledge is gap in understanding and who is willing to take the time and come back and explain in terms in a fashion and context that can be understood by everyone so what does this lack of health literacy lead to what do we need to be worried about what can health illiteracy cause um, this failure to use things this failure to ask questions about things that are unfamiliar. You know, it leads to what we call information asymmetry. You know, information asymmetry is the direct result of failure to share information. So one group has a wealth of information. One group has a paucity or lack of information. That's why it's called asymmetry, asymmetry of information. Just like I, I said, we are left with a small group of people. They have a wealth of information and knowledge that they understand they are able to act upon this information and knowledge. And most of all, from this information and knowledge, they are able to benefit. On the other hand, we have a usually larger, usually much larger group that lacks this key information and suffers some negative consequence. Just think about it. Think about the stock market. Most of us do not understand the inner workings of the stock market. And there are even fewer of us with the money to invest and take advantage when we do understand the inner workings. Yet, on the other hand, there's a select few with intimate knowledge, information, and they have the available capital, the available cash, who are able to capitalize on the stock market and make money. That smaller group, while the much, while the much larger group is unable to capitalize and we suffer a detriment. We are not able to make money to work towards and reach financial security. Asymmet information asymmetry is also prevalent in health and wellness. There's a group of people who are, like I mentioned before, those sophisticated patients. There's a group of people who, are, who do understand health information and are able to use it and benefit from it, but that is a small group, and they tend to have that information and benefit from that information where there's a much larger group who do not understand, who don't, do not have access to the information and suffer a negative consequence. That negative consequence is, is ill health. It's unnecessary or preventable hospitalizations. It's complications like heart attacks, strokes, like amputations from blood flow to the legs or arms being compromised because of disease. But we have a cure for this, for this health illiteracy to make us more health literate. It's education and teaching. These two items are essential in inc increasing compliance with medical and wellness plans and reducing the impact of diseases. Knowledge is power, ladies and gentlemen. Knowledge is power. It allows us to make more money 
that's knowledge y'all it allows us to look and feel better again knowledge and to have more time and energy to do the things we enjoy knowledge knowledge about our health knowledge about our wellness knowledge about taking care of ourselves whether or not you choose to comply with health and wellness instructions especially when you reach this level of health literacy may result in divergent chronic disease outcomes outcomes that tend to develop in two different directions one in a you know moving to opposite directions one in a positive direction the other in a negative direction so what happens when we comply and when we don't comply you know let's go back in time a day that i remember quite not fondly but quite clearly it's november 7th 1991 this was the day that i flew from roanoke virginia to san antonio texas i had just joined the united states army and i was reporting for medical training there was two things that I heard about the Lone Star State before I got there. One was don't mess with it. And two, everything was big there. And San Antonio was definitely big. As I drove in the taxi cab and we pulled off the exit just north of downtown San Antonio, it was nighttime and there were lots of lights, lots of action. So San Antonio was definitely a big city. Didn't get to do a lot that night. Obviously it was night and I had to report for my military training. So when I got to the building where I needed to sign in and report for training, you know, I walked in and then I noticed that no one paid me any attention. Well, the first thing I noticed that their uniforms were weird. I had spent two years in the Marine Corps before joining the Army, and I didn't, e- didn't even have a uniform with me. So when I saw the Army guys in their uniforms, I, they were a little different. So that caught my eye first. Second thing that caught my eye, they were crowded around a TV and waiting for this announcement from Irvin Magic John's famous legendary basketball player from the Los Angeles Lakers he was the you know the first sports figure that I idolized literally as a child the kid you know he had the complete package he was an amazing ball player basketball players his name implies he had a wonderful personality and smile and he was passionate you read stories or hear tales of him shoveling the entire basketball court off during the winter time in Michigan just to work on being a better basketball player when he was younger. Finally, the time came for Magic to make this announcement, and and we were, you know, on the edge of our seats. He casually walked up, picked up the microphone. He was dressed to the T, suit and tie, and with a few seconds of talking, he announced he had contracted the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV. You know, at that time, that was considered a death sentence, and he was retiring from basketball. Superman had just confessed that he was about to die, and I, I couldn't believe it, and neither could the people watching the television along with me couldn't believe it. But Magic, through it all, he was resolute about living a full and wholesome life, and he had doctors with him who were able to answer questions, and he smiled on occasion, you know, that award-winning smile of his, and um, you would think that everything was okay in his life, but he would later admit that he was afraid very afraid when he stepped out on that stage and made that initial announcement. So, you know, what has Magic Johnson done? What has he done since that fateful day over 28 years ago? Um, He's probably or he's arguably been more prolific off of the basketball court than on it. He's found success as an entrepreneur, as an investor, and an executive to the Los Angeles Lakers basketball team. He's been in such good shape that at one time it was a rumor going around that a witch doctor had cured magic, but it wasn't the witch doctor that cured him. He later, you know, in several interviews, he told the secret 
to his him doing so well with at that time HIV with what was considered a death sentence. And all he said was he took his pills every day. And like I mentioned, Urban Magic Johnson has now lived over 28 years with HIV. So that's the compliance story. So what happens when you don't comply? Let's take a look at Tommy the Duke Morrison. He's the antithesis of Urban Johnson. Tommy Morrison probably best known for his role in one of Sylvester Stallone's Rocky movies. But he was also an accomplished boxer. He was a two-time heavyweight champion. He was, he was a world-class athlete. He wasn't able to defend his titles but once, but still, he was a two-time champion. His past was a little more checkered than Magic Johnson. He, had, he was much more controversial. But the one thing that, that Tommy and Magic had in common is that they both were diagnosed with HIV. Tommy Morrison in February of 1996 is when he was diagnosed, and he held, had held his own formal press conference to announce the results of the test, which was done as required prior to one of his scheduled boxing matches in Las Vegas. And just like Magic, Tommy stepped on the stage. He's dressed to the tees. He was calm, composed, had a suit on, jet black shirt, had a fresh trim, goatee was sharp, and he announced the results of his test, that he had contracted the human immunodeficiency virus from what he called a reckless lifestyle. We mentioned talking to Magic Johnson and planning to work with him to promote awareness. He warned about the dangers of the disease and finished his talk or finished his press conference by saying, I love you to his mother and father. Now, that's where the similarities between Irvin Johnson and Tommy Morrison end, because unlike Magic, who believed his diagnosis and adhered to his treatment, Tommy Morrison went into an almost instant denial, stopped taking his medications after a very short period of time, believing HIV was a conspiracy by the government. Despite his family and loved ones trying to convince him to take his medicine and even Magic Johnson reaching out to him, he still continued to not take his medication for HIV. Tommy Morrison never accepted his diagnosis or adhered to any treatment regimen, and he died September 1, 2013 from a cardiac arrest related to a blood infection. But his mother told the, the true tale. She reported that Tommy had full-blown AIDS and had been bedridden, y'all, bedridden. This strong man, two-time former boxing champion, bedridden for over a year prior to his death. That's what we call divergent, non-compliance versus compliance. So why did two people with the same diagnosis of a potentially de deadly disease have such contrasting outcomes? I've already said it. Magic listened to his doctors. He believed and understood his diagnosis, and he was steadfastly compliant with his medication regimen. He became medi medically literate, and he complied with his medication regimen. Um, and he's lived more than two decades due to that understanding of his disease and treatments and complying with those treatments. The medicines that Magic Johnson take, you know, they're not special medicines that he got because he's rich. You know, everyone gets those medicines. We have them today, and that's why people are living much longer. They are being diagnosed sooner and taking those medications and living long, full lives, despite having what was at one time considered a death sentence. Tommy Morrison took the opposite approach, and he, he paid a price. He didn't have to die on that fateful day in you know 2013. He could have complied with his medicines like Magic Johnson did. He could have listened to his doctors, and he would probably still be living a healthy, wholesome life despite having that deadly virus.
what a difference in outcomes when you listen and comply versus when you don't comply. And we have a choice whether or not we comply with our health and wellness plans, with our medical plans. And as we talked about noncompliance and not following through can have deadly consequences. Sometimes we need help following through. So innovations have been invented, have been come up, come up with to help us improve our compliance with our health and wellness regimens. People are trying to figure out ways to aid us in our journeys and increase our success with our health and wellness plans, with our therapeutic lifestyle changes, with adherence to our medication um, regimens. And we talked about old-fashioned. Just because you're older doesn't mean that you can't benefit from these innovations, these new inventions, these new approaches. Take, for example, my pops. Uh, I love my pops. Herbert Hughes, he, he's adapted to the change in times. He's not old-fashioned. He's, he's hard-headed and stubborn, but he's not old-fashioned. This guy, he has moved into the digital age, and he did that long ago. He uses social media. He uses electronic devices, smartphones, laptops. And anytime something new comes out, an app, anything like that, he's learning how to use it. He's staying in contact. And what pushed him was, as the digital age kicked in, you know, it was no longer do, do the grandparents get the nice little letters in the mail with pictures of the grandkids in there and things like that. All the pictures of the grandkids now go on social media. So he was determined to keep track of his grandchildren, whom he loves very much, and, and he has gotten over that fear of change long ago and moved into the digital age. He's a guru on social media. It's so funny going on an app and, and seeing your pops, 70, 80-year-old man, posting pictures and replying to pictures, things like that. So, you know, again, what are innovations, though? We said the word innovation. We talked about inventions, like the telephone, but also more often is the case, innovations involve an improvement in the way that things are being done, you know, solving a pain point or something that's painful to us when it comes to doing something. Take taxi services or getting a cab ride. Getting a cab ride can be painful, especially for people who depend on it day in and day out, who depend on the ride because of either living in a large city or either not having their own dependable transportation. So Uber and Lyft, two companies we may be or should be familiar with, they stepped in and solved that pain point with an innovation, with their new apps and services to make getting a ride much easier, much less painful. So just think about getting a hotel room. Hotel room the same way. Um, a lot of times it's hard to find a nice room or there's a you know difficulty in booking the room. Airbnb came up with a way to use people's homes and to innovate the way we go out of town, take trips, and choose places to stay when we are on business or on vacation in pleasure with our families. Just like Lyft and Uber, you know, they innovated with the implementation of digital technology, which came through in ways to solve a pain point and improve our lives. Adoption of digital technologies and other innovations have been but has been slower to take hold in the health and wellness industry. Health and wellness typically lag behind the other major industries when it's come to innovation. The name of the game in capitalism, our form of monetization, our, you know, the basis of our form of government, capitalism, is profit. Calculating profit or return on investment for health and wellness 
type innovations is very difficult. You know, how do you put a dollar value on feeling good and looking good? The the CEO of a big company doesn't want to hear that. They speak in dollars and cents. So it has been slower to take hold these innovations in the health and wellness industry. But regardless, there have been innovations, technology to the rescue for health and wellness as well. The goal, major goal in, in the health and wellness innovations is to reduce future health care costs. You know, we need to reduce future health care costs by taking better care of ourselves now. There has been no shortage of new medications. You know, the discovery of new treatments has far outpaced the implementation of technological innovations in health and wellness. But again, going back to that keyword profit, medications, treatments, procedures make big money for these pharma- pharmaceutical and tech companies. So that's where they spend a lot of money and a lot of investment there because they can make money. What type of innovations are out there that are improving, you know, our health and wellness? You know, we can start with the Internet. Number one, we have social media. We can communicate with our family members, our loved ones better and, and give them an idea of how we're doing and how our health is going, you know, with the various chat functions and, and sharing pictures. And there are also what we call health and wellness apps and health and wellness social networks that are geared towards sharing health information, sharing that amongst the loved ones, friends that you trust. Other innovations include smartphones. I mentioned the health and wellness apps already, but there's a plethora of those. You know, you have the diet logs, the exercise logs, calorie counters, things like that. You have wireless health monitors where you can take your blood pressure, your temperature, and this basically Bluetooth transfers right over to your computer to make that record keeping and tracking much easier. We have sleep monitors and medication reminders. You know, they use a lot of times technology that's been borrowed from activity monitors to gauge the quality of our sleep, the quality and quantity of our sleep, along with whether or not we've been taking our medication by putting different monitors on the caps of medication that can actually track when we open and close our bottles, which should coincide with us taking our medicine. One of the greatest fears of Americans, uh, one of the greatest fears that Americans have about getting older is dementia. That's where you, you know, you, you lose your, your mental capacity. You can get to the point where you forget who you are, where you are, and the people you have known and loved your whole life. But we've come out with innovations to reduce that, along with the things we should be doing anyway as far as taking care of our health, our wellness through compliance with medications, maintaining a healthy weight, being act- active. But there are also brain games. There are cognition supplements, things we can take. I'll get deeper into those on another podcast that can help um, reduce our chances of having dementia. And there are some older things that have been around for a long time that are still, that they aren't exactly innovations, but their their benefits are being rediscovered and, and they're, they are being re-implemented at a, at a rapid rate. One is bariatric surgery. Again, keeping a healthy weight can prevent so many, so many chronic diseases, so... And then there's medical marijuana. Medical marijuana used to be on the pharmacopoeia up until the 1950s. It was used for medicine a long time ago. We have known about its benefits, and now it's being it's been rediscovered. The majority of the states have legalized medical marijuana, and I'll talk about that on a later podcast as well. So we are rediscovering some things that were quote unquote lost 
and are realizing the true benefit and how they can help us live healthier and happy lives. Now let's move on to the damn he is healthy section of the podcast. They're professionally beautiful. You know, looking and being healthy is part of his job description, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about Idris Akuna Elba, the 47-year-old actor, musician, and Golden Globe nominee. This Englishman, he was once the number two ranked. I was number one, in case you were wondering. He was the number two ranked in People's Magazine's annual Sexiest Man Alive. He's also a professional kickboxer. He is 1-0 undefeated, ladies and gentlemen. He is a badass to, to boot. Idris Elba's wellness quote, fear nothing. Do what you want to do, but be educated. Health literacy and intelligent health literacy and confident health literacy about it again fear nothing do what you want to do but be educated and intelligent and confident about it so ladies and gentlemen let's be courageous do what we know is right and educate ourselves so we will know without a doubt that what we are doing is the right thing and we can feel good about it again this is sean fit 50 the health and sexy show have a great day be beautiful live strong live long I'm out.